Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We are now a few games into the NCAA men's and women's tournaments. And so for this week's Draft Deep Dives episode, we are going to talk about some of the top prospects and how they've played so far in the men's side of the tournament. So I'm here today, as always, with my co-host, Tyler Metcalf. And Tyler, how are you today? Uh, I'm, I'm tired, but... I'm good. It, it was good to have the tournament back. Um, you know, unfortunately, VCU had, you know, the, the least satisfying ending to their season you could imagine. But, you know, at least everything else kind of seemed to go off without a hitch. Hopefully that continues going forward. But it, it was just great to have a tournament back again, and um, especially after missing it last year. So it is interesting always to sort of talk about how the NCAA tournament affects sort of draft prospects and, you know, how some guys just shoot up draft boards based on a few good games in the tournament while evaluators seem to sort of ignore the entire rest of their profile. But, you know, on the other hand, there is some value to sort of be gained in looking at these incredibly high stakes games and, the number one overall prospect, Cade Cunningham, did not manage to lead Oklahoma State to a national championship pretty much on his own. They ended up losing in round two, and Cade did not exactly have all that brilliant of a first game in the tournament either. But Cade Cunningham, I saw this on Twitter the other day and made a little mini upset post about it, but... Cade Cunningham scored 106 points in clutch time this season, and no other player in college basketball scored more than 62. So, yes, you could argue that Cade Cunningham and the Oklahoma State team had a disappointing run in the tournament, but I don't think this did anything to sway me from Cade being the clear number one choice in this draft class. Not not even a little bit. I mean, it's just... The one good thing about the tournament is that, you know, people expose themselves on Twitter with horrible takes about how Kate Cunningham isn't actually that good. And then, you know, they're at least telling you that, hey, they didn't watch anything this entire season, so don't bother listening to their opinions, you know, and it makes it really easy for the rest of us. I, the, the He's one of the most well-rounded prospects we've had in, you know, quite some time. I'm not saying he's going to be this generational you know franchise or league altering player he could be but he's very clearly the best player in this draft and to think that he won't make multiple all-star games at least you know i i I think would be shocking for me um and that that clutch stat tells you everything you need to know about him because I know at times some of his numbers seem underwhelming, and you're like, why is he only taking five shots in the first half? And it's like, well, he's doing that because he's trying to get the rest of his team involved. And it's a team full of athletes who can't really score with the ball in their hands. They can't really create their own shots, so he kind of has to force the issue to get them involved, to get their offense going, and he knows that. So that's what he's out there doing. And then at the end of games when he needs to take over... That's what he does, and they had an incredible season. Without him, there's no chance that team would have been ranked this season. I like some of the pieces on that team. They have some good athletes, some promising shooters here and there, um, but they're they're not a four seed without him. They're 
you know, maybe barely making the tournament without him. I mean, this is a bit unfair, actually, to all three parties that I'm going to compare here. But Ben Simmons didn't take LSU to the tournament. Markel Fultz didn't even take Washington to a winning record. And, you know, those weren't exactly particularly talented teams. I think Oklahoma State had a little bit more surrounding talent than either Fultz or Simmons had at Washington and LSU, respectively. But, I mean, people are acting like, oh, Cade Cunningham's the number one prospect. He should be able to, you know, dominate the tournament all on his own. It's like, well, you know, this is a team sport. You know, there are other players that are on the court. Yeah, and I like... I think the and the the only issue with the Ben Simmons one is that he just very clearly had no desire to do anything in college. Well, that's a different that's a different set of issues. <laughs> just wanted to get in and out. Just get me to the NBA. And well, but I think that's another point for Cade. It's he cared. He wanted to be there. He wanted to play for that team with those guys, for that coach, for his brother, and I, it shows how much he cares about that team and everything you hear about him in interviews with teammates, coaches, anyone who's ever been around him is how much of a student of the game he is, how much he cares about the game, how hard he works at it. And because he has two, you know, poor shooting nights or, you know, somewhat underperforming games in the tournament where the rest of his team doesn't show up either in that loss and to, you know, have that be the determinant of why he's not your number one pick, I, I think is absolutely ludicrous and just unreasonable. Well, moving right along to uh, the player who got some buzz from people, not us, to be 100% clear, not us in any way, shape, or form, but Evan Mobley has had a much better tournament so far than Cade Cunningham, and mostly that's because his team has had a much better tournament so far he had a great game for USC in the first round and was quieter in round two. Did have 10 points and 13 boards, but USC just absolutely demolished Kansas in that round two game. And actually, Mobley's brother Isaiah probably had a better game than he did in that one. But Mobley's had a very strong tournament showing thus far, which I guess isn't all that surprising given that he's you know, in the top two or three of a very loaded class at the top. He, he's just such a well-rounded player. I, he, he's so much fun to watch. And I, that, I, I didn't think that dismantling of Kansas was really that surprising, uh, given that David McCormick, you know, had tested positive for COVID just a few weeks or, you know, a week or two ago and uh, was on limited minutes as recently as their first game. And Jalen Wilson had just gotten back from COVID. So... Kansas's lack of size, I think, kind of always put them behind the eight ball there. But I'm Mobley's. It, so I know what, everything I just said about Cade, how he's surefire the number one pick. If USC wins another game or two, it wouldn't surprise me if Mobley ends up going number one. I think that's the wrong choice, but given his size, his skill, um, you know, a deep tournament run that will get overinflated by some people, um, it wouldn't shock me. If he goes number one, I I still have him in that second tier, uh, pretty much by himself. Uh, Jalen Suggs is close, but not quite there. Um, but Evan Mobley's just a really he's a really fun player, and he's just always making the right basketball play. And it, it, it it's been fun to see you know a little bit of a fire get lit under him 
during this tournament and see him emote a little more of that passion that that we didn't necessarily see a ton of during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, that was something that I have discussed on this podcast already multiple times, that one of the things I was most worried about with Mobley was would he be aggressive enough to be a top-flight offensive option at the NBA level. And he's certainly shown very encouraging signs in that regard, you know, in the conference tournament and then in this tournament as well. It's been really encouraging. And, I mean, again, I don't think he's that top player in this draft, but it, I mean, if for some ungodly reason he fell out of the top three, I mean, that it would be a, a travesty and an absolute steal for whoever took him. So moving on to, I think, the third player in that top three for both of us, I might have him number two, Jalen Suggs, who actually had a pretty bad first game for Gonzaga in the tournament, but it absolutely did not matter at all, seeing as they won 98 to 55. And Gonzaga has won both their games very comfortably, not as wide of a margin against Oklahoma, but Suggs at least had a better game on that front. But, I mean, it would be a shock if Gonzaga does not make it to the Final Four. And unless Suggs has two more atrocious games coming up or unless Gonzaga gets upset somehow, certainly it's going to help his stock to continue to play deep into the tournament. Yeah, I'm kind of expecting him to have a pretty big game against Creighton. Um, I, you know, I, I like Zagorowski and Balak uh, in Creighton's backcourt, but th- they just don't have close to the level of athleticism to stick with Suggs. So I, I kind of expect Kispert and Suggs to go off this weekend against Creighton. Um, it would be nice to see Suggs have a little better shooting performance um, and God, I, I, I hesitate to buy into a shot. I don't think he'll be, you know, awful shooter, but some of his misses are really bad where he's just completely missing the rim and clanking it off the side of the backboard. Um, that that worries me a little bit, but he makes up for it in nearly every other aspect of the game with his intensity and competitiveness, um, athleticism, and defense. So I, he, he's, he hasn't been great this tournament, but that really doesn't change anything in the way that i see him i just you know for him and just for personal enjoyment uh would like to see him have a little better shooting performance here down the stretch so players three five and six on your most recent big board are not in this tournament at all and two of them because they played for the g league ignite in the g league bubble but number six zaire williams out of stanford they didn't make the tourney, and they had a interesting season, let's say. And Zaire personally had, you know, family tragedy and those sorts of things. Obviously, it was going to be a difficult season for him just as a human being. But, you know, also Stanford had a very tough sort of season on the court. But it's funny to me, and I do want to sort of point this out, because it does seem a bit uncommon that only three of the guys in the lottery are out of the tournament entirely. And two of them, you know, in any year other than this one, either would have been, you know, maybe they would have been in Australia rather than, say, playing for a college team. But it is funny to me that so much of the lottery this year is comprised of guys who are still in the tournament. And I guess that makes Zaire stand out a little bit more. 
Yeah, and it's, you know, it's kind of the constantly changing and evolving landscape of college basketball. Um, and in the past, you know, the like you said, the, the top guys who aren't in the tournament are usually guys from overseas, um, you know, like Denny or Luca or LaMelo, um, so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, in, in my kind of current daily running big board where I'm constantly adjusting stuff, I, you know, I have Zaire all the way down to 11. Um, and, you know, mo- more, most of that may be just because I, 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 you know, I still need to go back and revisit some of his stuff and it might move him back up. But like you mentioned, Stanford had, you know, an absolute season from hell and so so did Zaire and they they played nearly all of their games at a neutral site location a few hours from their campus I think in the Warriors practice facility or their G League facility um Zaire had a freak knee injury because he hit a pothole while he was riding his bike like the first week of school um I think he had two deaths in the family which took him away and then COVID protocols kept him away from the team for an extended period because of that. I mean, just literally everything that could go wrong with this team and with Zaire did. So, you know, I, I, I really want to go back and revisit some of the stuff because the, the raw skill and talent is there. Um, it's, it's just kind of a shame that we didn't really get to see fully what he could do this season. James Booknight did play one game in the tournament. But that was not a good showing for either him or UConn. They were upset by Maryland in round one. And Booknight himself had 15 points on 16 shots. So really, the tournament run went pretty much about as badly as it could have gone for Booknight, who's really dramatically shot up draft board since the start of this season. And he didn't really have a great Big East tournament on top of that either. Um, I you know, that's not going to drastically skew my opinion of him. Uh, I still have him as a top 10 guy, but the, the the slowness of his shot is a little concerning how he really struggled against, you know, high, higher level defenders uh, that Maryland had um, was a little concerning. But overall, I, I still absolutely love his off-ball movement. I think he's one of the best off-ball scorers um, in in the country and in this draft, um, the way he navigates screens and creates space uh, before he even receives the ball is really impressive. Um, so, sucks to see you know him play like he did. It would have been fun having him go up against Alabama, um, but unfortunately, he, he just it, he had one of his worst performances of the season. Well, someone who's had a very different run in the tournament so far. Moses Moody has helped to take Arkansas to the Sweet 16, and he's another player who, you know, has incredible off-ball scoring skills, but, you know, not sort of in the same way as Booknight, but clearly, you know, he's had a much better time of it so far in Indianapolis. His shot is so sweet. Uh, I mean, it, it's just a thing of beauty, and he, he's an excellent defender, um, kind of effortless space creator with the ball he's not you know like he's not in the same realm of Trey Mann or Cam Thomas or anything like that but he's just really adept at getting to his spot creating enough space and shooting over the guy and he draws a ton of fouls he's like an NBA vet out there already the way he's able to get to the line 
Well, I talked earlier about, and you talked earlier as well, about how we were encouraged by Evan and Mobley being more aggressive in tournament play. Opposite story for Kai Jones, who had 11 points, but only took five shots as Texas went down in the opening round to 14th seed Abilene Christian. Not a great performance for the Longhorns in this tournament. You mean D1 powerhouse Abilene Christian, who's only been D1 for like five years? Yeah, them. <laughs> that God, that game was a travesty. That was disgusting. And then watching Abilene against UCLA, it I, I still don't understand how Texas lost that game. It would have been nice for Kai to kind of really go off in that game, um, but I'm putting that loss on... They're on Texas's guards. I mean, the amount of turnovers they had, their complete inability to handle a hard hedge out of the pick and roll was absurd. They didn't shoot it well. I mean, it, it was it was an appalling performance in that standpoint. And you know, I, I'm just trying to pull up their total turnovers here. But I mean, Courtney Ramey had four turnovers. Matt Coleman had seven turnovers. Andrew Jones had four turnovers, and it was it was bad. But I I I think I, we touched on this um, in the last Big Man Pod we did, where I like the raw foundation of Kai Jones' skills, but his ability to move off ball and within an offense. Um, he has to have really clear direction or else he's pretty stagnant and isn't great at finding, you know, those cutting lanes or those relocations on the wing. Um, and we, we saw a lot of that in that Abilene Christian game. So we already talked about Gonzaga when talking about Jalen Suggs. Corey Kispert has had a much better tournament than Suggs so far. He scored 23 points in the first game. He put up 16 as well in game two, although that was really Drew Timmy's game. But for Kispert, I mean, he's continuing to play really well for the team that has been the clear favorite to win this tourney since, what, like November? Probably earlier, honestly. He He's just a good ball player. I mean, he's, I, I really hope that he gets, we get at least one you know, flamethrower game from him from outside so the whole country can be like, this dude can shoot. And he, he does a little bit of everything. I, he's a better defender than he gets credit for. Um, I think he can do more attacking the rim than he gets credit for. Uh, he, you know, I, I don't think he has a super high ceiling, um, especially compared to some of the other guys in the lottery, but he's much more, like, already, you're like, he's much more ready-made to be an NBA contributor from day one. All right, we have to talk about the Tennessee guys, Jaden Springer oh, and Keon yeah. Johnson. Just just a beautiful performance from Rick Barnes in Tennessee's opening tournament game. That just... It goes back to his days at Texas, where you just can never bet on anything Rick Barnes has been or is associated with, because he will disappoint you in the tournament. And... This Tennessee team was all over the place throughout the season, um, but this, I mean, God, this was an awful performance. Um, you know, Keon Johnson, 6 of 16 from the field, Jane Springer, 5 of 12. They took a combined three three-pointers. Um, it, it just wasn't good. Their offense looked stagnant. They didn't know what they were doing out there. They looked lost, confused, and like they hadn't game-planned 
in the last week at all. It's funny because this kind of seems like a poor place for this argument, but this kind of game is actually a huge part of why I don't put too much stock in tournament games in terms of draft stock for players, because this is the kind of night where, you know, everything that could go wrong pretty much did go wrong. And it's not like Oregon State, you know, did badly in their next round either, right? They're the ones that knocked Kate out of the tournament. It's not like they were a bad team, even though they were a 12th seed. You know, it's really just that these guys are incredibly talented players. And if this was the only game of theirs that you watched all season, you wouldn't understand why they had first round grades, much less, you know, lottery potential. Yeah, it's completely unfair to judge or have your opinion, you know, completely skewed by this game as it, you know, I I think in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, closer to an outlier than, you know, the the normal. Um, and, And even in that game, both of them showed, or at least had a couple flashes here and there of like Keon's athletic or wow, Jaden really kind of bullied that defender to get to his spot and get to the rim. Um, so I mean, there there were little flashes here and there, but I I think it, overall it was more of an indictment on coaching and overall preparation um, because they they just looked like they found out they were playing that morning. Um, it, it was not good. Well, someone who had a slightly better time of it, your guy, Trey Mann, who led Florida to an opening round win over Virginia Tech and then lost to the Cinderella of this tournament run, who we will talk about more in just a little bit. But Oral Roberts University now in the Sweet 16, about to face Moses Moody in Arkansas. But what were your thoughts on how Trey Mann did in his tournament run this year? Um, I, I appreciate him validating me and my love for him uh, all season. Um, and I, I, I currently have him at number 10 overall, which I know is quite a bit higher than some of the more mainstream places. Uh, but I, he's been moving up everybody's boards. Um, I've just been a little more aggressive with it. I think he has the best step back in the country. I think he's a really good shooter. Um, I think he's a, a good passer, a little bit reactionary with his playmaking, but comfortable with the live dribble passes. Uh, he just needs to speed up his processing on his decisions with those just a, a little bit, but he's not far off. Um, I think overall he's a pretty good defender. Um, you can still kind of tell that he's growing into his body. I mean, he had like a four or five inch growth spurt between his freshman and sophomore season. And you can kind of tell because he's still really skinny. Um, but as he ages and matures and grows into his body, I think all of the space creation and scoring instincts um, that he already has are just going to be amplified. And I, I really, really like this kid. And lastly, in the lottery, we have Davion Mitchell, who's continuing to excel for Baylor, who has not had quite the ridiculously easy run that Gonzaga has had, but they are cruising as a one seed, which in any NCAA tournament, but particularly this year's tournament, is, you know, showing up and getting your business dealt with as a one seed is is impressive and a good thing. And, you know... They're doing all right, unlike, say, Illinois. Yeah, I mean, as a Michigan fan, I'm not going to say I was heartbroken about that Illinois loss. 
I, I can just tell you're you're devastated. <laughs> I can feel your I can feel the I'm tears just... you're holding back uh, on oh, the other and, end. And, and Michigan State and Ohio State, I was really broken up. Oh, know? I'm sure uh, that Ohio State just loss just broke your heart. Hated it uh, every second. I'm... <laughs> I'm... What doesn't Davion Mitchell do well? I mean, he's maybe the best perimeter defender or guard defender, point of attack defender, however you want to label it, um, in the country. His outside shooting is, I think, in the mid to low 40%, and it has improved by about 10 to 12% since last year. Uh, he led the Big, tw- or the Big 12 in assists. Um, he's just... I, I guess the the only gripe with him is that he's 22 and a little smaller. I mean, he's 6'2", 205, which is almost the same size as Drew Holiday, uh, maybe an inch or two shorter, depending on where they have him listed. But there, I, I think this guy is, five years from now, we're going to look back and be like, why was this dude not taken in the lottery? Um, because he's a, an elite defender, an elite shooter, uh absurdly quick first step great body control at the rim uh there's nothing that this dude does poorly and he's gonna fall farther than he should just because he's 22 yeah it always feels like you know there are more and more players every year that end up getting drafted at 22 23 and that are really productive right away and it's like maybe they're not going to be a superstar but you're pretty sure by the time a guy is 22 or 23 and is doing the kind of stuff that Davion Mitchell is doing, you're pretty sure that he's going to be a good and valuable player. And, you know, there's got to be a value proposition where at some point, even if he's not going to be a superstar, you know, if you get a guy who's 19 and he's a project for all four years of his rookie contract, you know, is that really anywhere near as valuable as getting Davion Mitchell and having him be good for three or four years on that deal? Yeah, and I, I tweeted this out the other day, but it just it, I think Memphis is currently at the back end of the lottery at like 13 or 14, and it just seems like they're, they're going to end up with him. And that pair him with John, that backcourt, add some shooting, add some more athleticism, because all they do is draft good players who can help contribute right away. And Desmond Bain has been good, Xavier Tillman's been good, Brandon Clark has been good. They're just one of these teams that, understand drafting good players is generally a good philosophy wild how that tends to work out it it's incredible um and you know as these guys continue to age and kind of get on the same timeline and become nba vets i I think memphis is going to be really good down the line and it wouldn't surprise me at all if davion mitchell is one of those pieces that they add all right let's move on to some more unheralded players who are boosting their draft stock in this tournament and really the place to start we touched on this earlier max admus from oral roberts is continuing his absolutely absurd season he took 225 three-pointers in college play this year which hilariously is down from last season where he took 238 (laughs) of them He hit 98 of those threes, so almost 44% from long range. He's undersized, 6'1", and that's generous, 165, and that might also be generous. But 
his shot is so pure and he can score from absolutely everywhere and he's lighting up the tournament to the point where you know this 15th seed oral roberts knocked out florida and trey man and in round one much to your personal devastation knocked off ohio state and you know he's someone who could earn his way to a pretty decently high draft pick i don't think he's going to go in the first round but you know Someone could take a second round flyer on this guy just from absolutely lighting the world on fire in the tournament, but that's not any different from what he's been doing all season. So I, I would love to see him get drafted. I kind of doubt that he will, and you kind of touched on it, but he he's tiny, um, and I I just don't see NBA teams convincing themselves of. Yeah, he won't be a complete liability. I mean, he's such a fun scorer, um, and I mean, he completely torched. Ohio, him and O'Banner scored, I think, fifty nine of the seventy five points in that game. Um, and he was knocking down shots the entire tournament. And as you touched on for the last couple of years, he's really fun. Um, I would love to see him as kind of like a second round flyer. Um, I expect that we see him in summer league if we have one or another g league bubble or season or something um but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of these guys that we find out is absolutely dominating europe or australia and is on the team of you know a young overseas prospect um that we're looking at in a couple of years and we're like oh max asmus huh he had that awesome tournament run what what a player oh god he's killing it over there so I would love to see him kind of earn a way on. Um, his scoring is a lot of fun. This run that Oral Roberts is on is a lot of fun. Uh, I, I just don't think his size will allow him to really, really carve out a role, unfortunately. Well, that size is not a problem for the next player that we are going to talk about. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been exceptional for Villanova, you know, in their conference tournament as well, but... Really, in the NCAA tournament, he has a shot to solidify himself as a back-of-the-first-round prospect, when really it seemed like he might fall into the second round after cooling off sort of towards the latter half of the college season. He's back in business so far in the tournament, and that's been really fun to watch for them. And it'll be really interesting to see what he does in their upcoming game against Baylor in the Sweet 16. Yeah, so I, all season I've kind of moved him. I mean, well, after he got out to that incredibly hot start, I had him maybe middle of the first round, and then he cooled off and got really passive, and his shot fell off. And ever since then, I've kind of been bouncing between, you know, 30 to 40, and I, I have him right as that fringe first-round guy. And, you know, when you look around at other people's opinions of him, I think he might be one of the more polarizing guys out there is some have him as a lottery guy others have him as mid-second round um he's he's not super athletic i don't think his he's gonna be this great shooter but he's just one of these players that you can clearly tell that he understands this game and he is a really smart player um on both ends of the floor and he he moves the ball. He's always in the right position. He def he can defend you know nearly any position on the floor. So I, I I definitely think that he's worth a look in you know the twenties, um, especially for a contender who 
needs just kind of that small ball four and just an infusion of high basketball IQ, high work rate, and just like a high character player. And another player who has, you know, maybe earned themselves some draft consideration in the tournament is, or was, I should say, Jason Preston had a very impressive opening game in the tournament for Ohio. He had 11 points, 8 assists, 13 rebounds, led them to an upset win, and looked like he might be someone who had a chance to really make a name for himself in the tournament. And then he went 1 for 10 in their loss against Creighton. So maybe not as good of a run as he could have hoped for, but that opening game was impressive. And for someone who was writing for the Piston Powered blog on Fansided not too long ago, that's a pretty impressive come up right there. Yeah, and for anyone watching the tournament, I'm sure they've heard Preston's story, and it's probably the best one in college basketball this year. Um, I've heard some people thinking that he should get legitimate first-round looks. I think that's a massive stretch. Um, I don't think he has the athleticism to do that. Uh, But as a second-round flyer, I don't hate it. Um, You know, I I, I think that Crane game was the result of pure exhaustion after you know a, a great run to win the conference tournament and then beat the defending national champions of virginia um but he, he's a really good decision maker really good passer uh great defensive awareness um with with his overall team defense he, he's just not a very good athlete and that hurts him with his shot creation and on ball defense so I, it'll be interesting to see if he goes out or um maybe transfer somewhere to a bigger program. But I, what, what he showed, I think, was that he has the IQ, the passing vision, and just that, that feel for the game that, you know, that belongs in the NBA. So if he does go out and stays in the draft, I, I, I hope that he I, – I, I'd be shocked if we don't at least see him in Summer League. Um, but I, he, he's, a, he's a really smart passer, and it wouldn't shock me to see him as the, the second or third guard in a rotation. Up next, Chris Duarte from Oregon, who put up 23 points on 12 shots and dished out seven assists in their win over Iowa. And he's probably a first-round pick at this point, maybe. I mean, he's certainly got the skill set for that and has had an impressive run in the tournament so far. He did only shoot one for three against Iowa, which was hilarious because he made eight of his nine shots inside the arc. But that outside shooting is going to be, you know, what carries him maybe into the first round, maybe, you know, sort of outside of the 20s range of the first round if he really lights it up during the next few games of the tournament he's he's a lot of fun and another one of these guys who's gonna fall because he's 22 or he he might even be 23 by draft time um but and and as i talked about with book knight and his off-ball movement chris duarte is right there with book knight um just the way he cuts the way he can finish above the rim he's a great shooter uh didn't really translate or show in that Iowa game, but it didn't really need to because he was back cutting them to death. Um, and and defensively, he's really impressive, just really smart, uh, great team defender, communicates everything out there. You can really tell that he's that the heart and soul of that Oregon team, and it it shows because he had a great game and they demolished Iowa. So 
I I think he's going to be in that similar Desmond Bain type vein of this draft where he should probably be end up going higher than he does and he's going to fall purely because he's in his 20s already and NBA teams, you know, want to try and take a home run swing on a teenager. And of course, there's only one way that we could wrap up this podcast. I said earlier that I didn't think anyone could knock Cade Cunningham out of the number one spot, but I completely forgot about Buddy Beheim, who's clearly going to be the number one overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft, who is lighting it up for Syracuse as he definitely has been all season long, really definitely been playing like this consistently. No reason to think he's going to fall off in any way, shape, or form. Are we sure that he's not the best basketball player to ever step foot on a court? No. I mean, yes. And, but... <laughs> and he's certainly playing like it. My God, what he's doing is incredible. Um, he's not an NBA guy. Should, should he get some summer league looks? Sure, why not? He's an incredible shooter. He's showing that. He's super hot right now. What he's doing is a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, and he's not a good athlete. He's, his defensive awareness is solid in that zone, but it's a gimmick defense, um, and he'll get abused by NBA athletes. Um, yeah, I, similar to the people, and it might even have been the same people who are saying that Cade's not the number one guy in this draft, um, who are also saying that Buddy Beheim should get first-round looks. Um, so I just really appreciate people putting those takes out there so I know to ignore them going forward. But, you know, what he's doing is a lot of fun. Um, if it continues, you know, that's it's good for TV. So I, I, I don't hate it, but let, let's not kid ourselves and put this guy into draft consideration, really. I will say first round is just hilarious. <laughs> it It's irresponsibly aggressive. It's like Exhibit 10, I think, would make a lot of sense. You know, if he gets really hot in Summer League 2 and ends up signing a two-way, I think that could end up being really fun. But Sure, absolutely. But I don't hate first that. round? Yeah, I'm, I'm not spending draft capital on him. It, would he be one of the first five names that I call to sign to a Summer League contract? Maybe, you know, depending on how the draft fell. And, you know, because he'd at least be fun if he's shooting well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not spending any draft capital on buddy. All right. Any more general tournament thoughts before we wrap up here? Uh, not too much. I should have some more in-depth kind of individual scouting reports on guys coming out throughout the next few weeks and leading up to the draft, uh, new or version two of the draft guide will probably go live either at the final four time of the final four or right after that i'll have kind of weekend recaps um after each round so keep an eye out for those next week um and i think that's about it just go blue <laughs> go blue definitely check out tyler's recap of the first couple rounds as well which is up now on hashtag basketball Really, the one other thing I just wanted to bring up was the really gross differences between the men's tournament facilities and the women's tournament facilities. Yeah. The NCAA tournament falling flat on its face and being a hideous embarrassment is not really anything new, but I will at least say shout out to Sedona Prince on the Oregon women's team and many other people who 
aggressively called the NCAA out for falling flat on their face in this regard. And we didn't talk about the women's tourney on this podcast, mostly because we were just doing NBA draft stuff here. But I wouldn't feel right about signing off before at least saying that that was really gross. And I would say NCAA do better, but I have absolutely no faith in the NCAA doing better. And nor should you. All right. And on that very happy note, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his draft work and tournament work throughout the rest of this tournament. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my work on the hashtag basketball website as well as Tyler's. You can also find Tyler at Canis Hoopus. And you can find my work at Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And as always, thanks so much for listening.